If you are in a more traditional, larger organizations, which is about KPI and performance, and this is what you should do, you know, the more traditional management style, many leaders struggle with the emotional mental health needs that Gen Z has. And I think this is for the HR community, a, a, a wake up call to start uh, educating leaders how they can actually you know, get on par with, with the youngsters when it comes to mental health. Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to the first episode of Series 19 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. You just heard Timon de Jong, a social psychologist specializing in the future of human behavior and the founder at Weston. Throughout this episode, Timon and I talk a lot about the psychological impact of the pandemic on the workforce, including Gen Z. Timon highlights the likelihood of employees experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, once the pandemic is truly over. But he also highlights that twice as many people could develop PTG, what he calls post-traumatic growth. And we can expect this to fuel a lot of career switches. Post-traumatic growth, which people are less familiar with. Post-traumatic growth is, is, is uh, you might know it, so people who survive a life-threatening illness, they, many of them experience post-traumatic growth and they say, I've survived this and now suddenly I cherish every moment I have with my loved ones. If I look outside, the sound, the birds, and they do career switches. But they do a completely different, they switch not only careers, but you know, switch different industries. So a corporate banker will become uh, a ski teacher in the Dolomites, or uh, they'll say, all right, I'll become a teacher. And really, you know, I'm going to align my career with my personal values and my purpose. Throughout this episode, Timon and I discuss how organizations and employees confront change during a crisis and taking an experimental approach to hybrid work. Timon offers an interesting perspective on why asking employees what they want during the crisis itself might not be the best approach. Timon also talks us through the reality of COVID being a digital decelerator, despite the speed with which companies have gone virtual. At many organizations, large-scale digital transformation projects, for example, embedding AI, have actually been put on the back burner with little hope of reigniting in the near future. Finally, we discussed the Gen Z workforce and how allowing younger workers to shape the workplace might be more effective than trying to mould the individuals themselves to meet the expectations of the existing environment. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Simon de Jong, founder at Weston. Uh, to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Timon. It's great to have you on. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to, to you and your work? Yes. Well, thank you, David. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be on the podcast. Um, my name is Timon de Jong. I am from Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and I'm a social psychologist. And my specialization within that field is the future of human behavior. So how can we expect people to behave in the near future? So not 2050, 20, not, not science fiction stuff, but close by. Uh, and then how can we use that for business strategy and leadership? Um, and I have my own organization called Weston, and I help mostly corporate organizations with that. Uh, and I lecture at Utrecht University, the social psychology department. 
Well, great. It's certainly recently we've seen, um, you know, human behaviour have to change over the last two years. And, and, and certainly that's 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 changed the approach to business strategy and leadership. And I guess moving forward as well. So I think we can have some interesting uh, conversation around that, Tim. It, it is it is is a strategy, but it's from a research perspective. It's so exciting because normally we have these small mini lab tests, you know, on you know remote work hybrid work and all these small things but now is like a true global scale the whole the whole of society is turned into one big experiment so from a people research perspective these ideas are well very exciting times now i've heard a rumor that as part of your lecturing uh you like to break out the bass guitar every once in a while <laughs> to keep students engaged um over the over zoom because obviously it's very different engaging students over zoom than it is in person uh, Any yeah, chance yeah. that we could invigorate our listeners with a with a couple of notes just to start? Yeah. So so what I have, I, I'm actually picking now up a bass guitar, but it, I got it handy here for for all the the, the students. So with students, uh, deep diving a little bit into the research, the, the, the students are struggling quite a bit with mental health, and then we've moved. Well, not now because we're hybrid now at the university, but last year, last. Uh, academic year we were fully virtual and they were just struggling so to keep up the engagement we thought of a plan me my fellow lecturers let's we have to do extra things for them so i thought i'll bring out the bass guitar and then in the breaks i'd play i'd play some tunes and of course if, if you play your bass then uh let me play something like uh the next round i would invite uh, students like for next week's lecture would you do something in the break and you know if we as lecturers go first then the next round uh, the students will go so we had singing students guitar students drum playing um, brilliant uh, yeah so like that so but with this uh, uh, yeah it, it's always handy here uh, just in case well, that is the uh, we, we're approaching about a hundred episodes on the Digital HR Leaders podcast, and we've never had a musical interlude yet. So, Tim, right. thank you very much for being the the first one um, to do that. But serious, serious topic, as yeah. you said. I mean, I know I've got two young children, and I know during lockdown, you know, at times they were really struggling to do their their lessons online because the interaction is completely different to what it's like in person. And I guess that's exactly the same, you know, in your experience. So. You can liven it up a bit, I guess, and, and engage people and, you know, give a more positive sense of, of well-being about it. A, it's good for mental health, but it's also good for, for learning as well. Yes. And uh, what's puzzling to me is that not more of this is being picked up by leaders uh, for their workers. Not to say that they should play a musical instrument, but to think more of an extra element or extra layer they should bring in addressing their uh, team members or even salespeople. In the world of B two B, how they how they actually build up a human connection because so much is lost as it's virtual. So, um, and I thought with one and a half two years in this pandemic, we would see a, it would be a lot more advanced than what it is because I still have the feeling that ninety nine percent of all the zooms and teamsing I'm doing is just standard laptop open and it's a standard microphone in the camera. I don't know how that is with with your experience, um, but that puzzles me. It's similar. We try and mix it up. We try and mix it up, but it's yeah, it's 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 challenging at times, and it's hard. I think because people, particularly in a business perspective, they're on a Zoom meeting, but they're answering email, they're doing work, they're being pinged on Slack. You know, so it's 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 hard to get people's attention. I think for you know, like you would do perhaps if someone was in the room with you. Yeah, true, true. Well, we're going to talk a lot today about change. Um, you know, 
what do you need to be aware of in in terms of, of of employee perceptions of change and the impact of change on employees? You've talked a bit about mental health, so I guess that's part of it. Yeah. So the mental health perspective. So if we look at the statistics, and everyone will have read this in the news, that the mental health statistic it's it's all indicators are pointing the wrong directions. Whether it's stress, anxiety, antidepressant usage, suicidal thoughts. Uh, the, the 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 working from home burnouts all indicates of pointing the wrong direction. So most countries see a doubling of people who, for example, report stress anxieties, and and it's especially the teens and our youngsters in their twenties who are overrepresented, who are suffering even more. And then you have the group who who, who reports they're doing fine. But my experience having one-on-ones with with leaders and business professionals is that they're not, especially now that we're going into the second, you know winter of this pandemic is uh what i hear more and more often i'm I'm waiting for the big 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 research report to show this that you know people are just tired uh what i get back most is that people say i'm I'm just so i'm just hanging in there and what you get is with people who are just barely hanging in there uh so they don't have a burnout yet they're not you know they, they haven't reported sick they're hanging in there is that y- you need you need mental energy for change so if for example you're changing because you're going back to the office or the employer asks you to go hybrid uh, you need energy for that and most people their 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 <laughs> energy batteries are completely drained uh, and this is not a good time to ask for behavioral change whether it's from you know, employer's perspective, but also if you are a business and you have a great new product or service, you want to sell it and behavioral change is needed for that. This is not the time. Obviously, as you said, we talked about at the start, you know, we've we've gone through the biggest forced experiment in, in human history, I guess, uh, uh, certainly around when it comes to working from home and, uh, and everything else. And the workforce, is, as you've alluded to, experienced some massive disruption, disruptive change around that. You know, what do we have to be cognizant of as we ask employees how to shift to either hybrid work models or returning to office? Because, you know, it, it does seem that there is a growing disconnect, for example, between leaders and, 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 and their workforces around these topics. Yes. So there are a few things at play here. So one is that most of the organizations I work with, and these are the larger corporations like Ikea and Vodafone and Morgan Stanley, Microsoft, the, these big ones, they ask their employees what they want. How are you doing? Employee engagement service. And what do you think of this remote working? When we go back to the office, how much would you like? But the big mistake they make is that you should never ask people in a crisis situation what they want when the crisis is over. Um, And if you would compare this to, let's say, a flooding or an earthquake, you should not ask people right after the earthquake or the flooding what they would want when all the mess is cleaned up and we are, you know, a year ahead. So uh, the thing is that with most of these surveys that people uh, get in front of them, they overestimate their own desire to work from home so with most of my clients the engagement service show well we'd like to do 50 50 or i'd like to be for three or four days so the majority of my work i'd like to do it from home while from a mental health perspective uh the social psychologist like myself would advise the opposite we advise do the majority of your work at an office to have a healthy uh, you know, you have your work situation and you have your private situation and a, a clear distinction between that. A commute, as we know from research, is great for your mental well-being. No commute is not a good thing. Um, it's good to be with colleagues. Uh, yes, there might be a traffic jam. Yes, you might be in that open office that you 
yeah, but that is hard to concentrate in, but for your mental well-being as a whole, it's a good thing. Um, but then you have the engagement surveys, which show the opposite, and they give the leaders the impression that their workers actually, oh, well, they like to do 50-50 or like to spend most of their time uh, uh, working from home. Great. Now we can close half of our office space. Um, I have a client in the US, they closed down 80% of all their office space. And they say, well, we're only going to do 20% of, of, of work post-pandemic will be at the office. We asked our employees, oh, they're fine with that. And I think that that's very much not a, a wise thing uh, to do. I think the best thing to do is, is to say, take the coming months and maybe even years as an experiment and say, all right, we're going to experiment with hybrid work and we're going to ask you along the go what you think. But I, I, I seriously think leaders should, uh, well, force is not the right word, nudge <laughs> uh, their people back to the office, get them in there and only after a few weeks or a few months ask them, all right, so now what's your experience? Are you still, uh, what would you like now? And not ask them in a crisis situation, well, They've been working from home for 18, 19, 20 months. Difficult, isn't it? Because some organizations have publicly come out and basically said they don't believe in hybrid work. A couple of couple of big bank investment banks. Yeah, the Goldman Sachs, yeah. And they get absolutely lambasted by the by the media. Um and 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 I guess that has two two effects. Number one, no big company likes to have negative press. And two what impact does that have on the people that work for them already? Do they start voting with their feet because they think that they want to be working virtually? It's a, it's, it's a real conundrum for leaders, isn't it? Because, as you said, if you ask people in a crisis and they're working from home at the moment and maybe there's all this news about health and new variants going on, then they think, well, actually, I quite like to work from home because it's a bit safer and, you know. Yeah, the, the people people are scared. We have the new uh, Omicron uh, variant just a week for a week now, and everyone is woo super scared again. So it feels safer to work from home, but it doesn't tell you anything how you'd feel in a year or two years time. And uh, it, it's it's a, a common fallacy that you overestimate the crisis while you're in a crisis. So uh, remember 2007, 2008, the the, the financial the economic crisis that happened. Then we said, oh, the banking system is going. You know, we're gonna. Uh, Wall Street's going upside down and it's it's never going to be the same anymore. You had to occupy Wall Street. And we thought that, you know, the whole banking financial system would be, you know, it would be a revolution. It would be the enlightenment for that whole sector. And if we look at where we are today, it's we're back where we were, right? That that feeling of change in the, in, you know, the, the whole world of, you know, financial institutions and banks and what they could do and how creative they could get and the regulation that were there. It, so... Uh, that is what that's where we are today. And uh, do people vote with their feet? Yes, they do. Uh, have you heard of the Great Resignation? Or oh, I might have heard a few things about it. Yeah. The big quit. It, it's not necessarily because uh, employers are forcing their people to come back to the office. It's also the opposite. What if you want to go back to the office, but your employer says, uh, "I'm going to close eighty percent of our office." So what we know is that that many people have, because they were scared and afraid, have not switched jobs. Uh, they stayed where they were, and they had a lot of time to think, contemplate, <laughs> chat with their partner, look out of the window. Um, and when the moment is there, and we see it, you know, we see it in the numbers in China, for example, in Asia, where they're a little bit ahead of us, we see that 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 there's quite a lot of change coming in the world of HR, where people are going to switch jobs. And it, it, I mean, it happened in the last crisis and the financial crisis as well yes um 
And interestingly, it's how a lot of the area we work in, in people analytics, it almost gave a bit of a boost to some people analytics teams in companies that have already established them because they were able to start using data to understand who might leave, you know, and if they happen to be in business critical roles and were high performers, then maybe the company can do something about it prior to them leaving. So, yeah. And, and, and can I, because this is an interesting one, because you, you might think, all right, so you work for Goldman Sachs, you're a corporate banker. Uh, would you then leave and go to JP Morgan? Uh, and the answer is no. So the interesting thing is uh, what we know from the research that after a crisis, so when the pandemic is truly over, uh, we see a group of people will develop what's what's called uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So people actually, their mental health will get worse when the crisis is over. But you have twice as many people who will develop PTG, post-traumatic growth, which people are less familiar with. And post-traumatic growth is, is, is uh, you might know it, people might know it from uh, when you, uh, experience a terminal illness or terminal, sorry, a life-threatening illness and you survive it. So people who survive a life-threatening illness, they, many of them experience post-traumatic growth and they say, I've survived this and now suddenly I cherish every moment I have with my loved ones. If I look outside, the sound of the birds, and they do career switches, but they do a completely different, they switch not only careers, but you know, switch different industries. So a corporate banker will become uh, a ski teacher in the Dolomites, or uh, they'll go say, "All right, I'll become a teacher." And really, you know, I'm going to align my career with my personal values and my purpose. So this is a big opportunity. For example, in the Netherlands, we have a big shortage of of uh, teachers uh, in in any schools, and there's a, a shortage of medical personnel, nurses. Uh, and this is a huge opportunity to get all these people from, if we take the UK example, from the city of London to get these bankers out of there and put them in front of a classroom and not the other way around. So uh, if I would be head of, uh, you know, some, some educational schooling faculty, I would say, all right, th that is where I put all my, you know, my HR strategy will go there to, to pick up the talents who want, uh, who are going to uh, vote with their feet. Interesting. So with um, so with the big companies, then you know it's it's interesting because a lot of a lot of criticism sometimes of big companies is that they don't listen enough to their employees. What you're saying is that maybe on this particular matter, they're listening too much to their employees and shaping whole hybrid work strategies around that. So I like what you said about that communication. Look, we're going to do a number of experiments around hybrid work over the next few months, next couple of years, and you know we're gonna we're gonna speak to you as employees and understand which ones work from a from a, your perspective, but also maybe what works from a company's perspective around productivity and, and innovation and all these other things that we could look at. Ha, have you seen any companies that are actually doing that? Um, and if so, how are they communicating that message to their to their workforce? So, yeah, I, I have a client, like a very big IT firm, and they have said, all right, so we don't know yet because the research is not there. there if and if the answer would be there, what the perfect hybrid balance would be, we wouldn't be discussing it because it would be, you know, a well-known fact. So, so we're going to experiment and we're going to check in all the time and we're going to set up also uh, a lot of, like, a, they're setting up like a digital fora where they can, uh, the leaders can actually share best practices because this is very much trial and error. Uh, leaders have to be vulnerable that, you know, we don't know it either. So every team, you know, for, uh, let's say, the programmers, things will be different than for the marketeers, will be different from, you know, the, the, the marketing or the sales team. So it's not that there's a one-size-fits-all which they can implement. And they've said, uh, and we discussed this, they, they said, oh, we're, we're going to experiment for six months, and then we're going to do a big 
survey, we knew everything together, and then we're going to see, are we going to continue this for another six months, or is it then our new HR strategy, and then we're going to formulate, you know, and put new pillars in place, and then that's the way forward for the coming years. So six months. So I think it's a good time to not say, let's experiment, and when the answer comes, it comes, <laughs> but say, all right, we're going to take six months, lots of knowledge sharing, let's all fail, let's all have fun, let's all succeed, share, and then in six months time, that's the, and of course it could be 12 months, and with the new virus variants in the winter ahead of us, who knows, that might be pushed forward, but it's good to have a fixed time and, and uh, an experimentation culture, and the leaders to say, we don't know, we don't know. But they should be a little bit like parents, you know, saying to their children, we, we kind of know what's best for you. Get back to the office. I know you don't want to, but we want you in here for a few months. And then if you really, if the research shows, and, you, and, then, and then you can decide. So, um, yeah, not listen, <laughs> indeed, not listen to the people too much. So what would the, so just to sort of summarize that on these particular topics, around the change and disruption, I mean, it's already happening, but it's likely to happen in 2022. What would be your number one piece of advice for organizations? Oh, um, well, very much track to mental health would be, we, would be most important. And what we do know is that the more uh, of a social bond you can create, the more of a community feeling you can create, uh, there's less chance that people will actually fall through the ice and get burnout or you know so for leaders it's simple things like there and there's a whole list not checking weekly with your team members but daily and then preferably a few minutes little things like this open up uh practice active reflective listening more than you'd normally would use words like experimentation get them back to the office but focus on mental health and not so much on are we as productive in hybrid as we were fully remote? Because that was when we switched to remote, it was like, oh, we're so productive, or we're even more productive. It was on productivity, and 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 uh, were the numbers up? Were we were we making all the yeah? We were the poor performance reviews and targets and KPIs, and did they translate well to the virtual? Uh, I'd say in this phase, it's getting people through the end of the COVID tunnel. Uh, and if we're there, we come out of it, then everything, production, innovation, everything will pick up again. But if you lose half of your team or yourself as a leader, we've, you know, you, you've lost the game. Yeah. And of course, productivity is so difficult to measure anyway. And most companies are measuring it by asking people if they feel more productive, which maybe in a crisis. Yeah. And many, and many are more productive. What cost, as you said, you know, long hours, potential risk of burnout, mental health challenges, you know, so. People making more longer hours because it's so easy to open up the laptop on the you know on the couch uh, when the when the kids are in bed. It's Netflix or the laptop, isn't it? Most of the time. Um, yes. Another thing I think you've got a really interesting view on is you know there's lot been lots of talk about how COVID nineteen has has accelerated digitalization and enabled virtual you know helped enable virtual work. Example. You've got a slightly different view uh, on on the topic of digitalization, which I think would be great for our listeners to uh, to hear. When we come back in just a moment, Timon shares his view on how COVID has actually been a digital decelerator for many organizations. Every single day, your people are sharing how they feel and what they need from where they work. Are you listening? Are you taking action? You can with Medallia. Medallia, a global leader in employee experience management, 
empowers people leaders with the most comprehensive set of experience tools to help you act confidently in times of uncertainty. Medallia helps you shorten the window between insights and action, building trust, fostering innovation, and activating the untapped power of your people. Visit www.medallia.com forward slash employee hyphen experience to learn more. That's medallia.com forward slash employee hyphen experience to learn more. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with Timon de Jong, social psychologist and founder at Weston. Now, back to the conversation. We've seen an acceleration with everything virtual, the Zooming, the Teaming, remote, everything hybrid. Now, yes, yes, yes. But with many of my clients, I've also seen a digital deceleration in other parts of their digital transformation journey. For example, I work for a large telco, uh, and I've worked this summer with their legal team. And the big project they were working on when it came to digital before COVID was uh, a legal AI, artificial intelligence project. And this was a piece of software that helped them with scanning all the legislation, regulation around telecommunications around the globe, helped them make decisions, connecting to policymakers. And when COVID hit, this, this whole legal AI project completely stopped. So I had a chat with the leader of his legal department, um, and I asked him, well, why did it stop? And he said, well, two things. One is our IT personnel resources fully went to to this, connecting virtually, connecting digitally. We suddenly had to switch to how does Teams work? How do you set a home office? How do you connect remotely to a policymaker, uh, to our stakeholders? So that's where all the effort went. And when we kind of get used to that and we want to restart it again, people said, really? No, uh, uh, they were just too tired. So the mental energy for this new project, for this future-focused artificial intelligence that they were experimenting with, it was very new. Uh, so he said, um, we kept it in the fridge and we're waiting to open up the fridge again to uh, give this one another go. Uh, when COVID disappears and the energy of our people returns and the IT resources come back. And the interesting thing is that I expect when, when we come out of COVID, a lot of these old and I'm now doing, air, you know, the, the air thing here with my hands. <laughs> the, the things that we were working on will, will come back. Because I hear this from for quite a few clients. We stopped frictionless shopping. We stopped this AI project. We stopped this uh, because all our energy and our resources and our IT staff had to go into this. And leaders were just, you know, many older leaders, it's it's... I still see them struggling with muting and unmuting their microphones. <laughs> uh, so definitely, so a deceleration. And so and you can reverse this, that we're, we're going to see an acceleration when we come out of COVID, especially because there's a lot of budgets that will become available. What we see after crisis, that there are a lot of risk take because organizations do not want to take risk. Behavioral, we, this is not a risk-taking time. So uh, we will start to take risk. Budgets will become available. All these old project that were put in the fridge will open up the fridges that so it's going to be a brilliant time when we come out of this because all these forces are going to stack on top of each other and it's going to be a, a great perfect storm for some digital true digital acceleration so so on that thing let's hope we are coming out of the covid tunnel as you've described it at some point next year please can we come out of the covid tunnel 
Um, yes. How can organizations get back to those digital transformation programs that may, as you said, have been decelerated during COVID? That's a good one. Um, <laughs> there's not a one-size-fits-all solution because it it, it, it it depends a little bit. So uh, preferably, preferably, you will have a few team members who come out with post-traumatic growth and do not leave your organization. So these are the people that will have plenty of energy that are the most happy to be at the organization and they are the ones that say oh i'm back at the office this is so great um have so much energy this is brilliant and this so uh, try as a leader to identify the people who have who are experiencing post-traumatic growth because they have extra energy give them the old here we go again yeah give them the old product and say all right now here's this old new thing uh this is your baby now Go ahead and, and you'll be in charge and uh, you can lead this one. Uh, don't give it to people who are, you know, will take longer actually to recover from, from the COVID pandemic. And I suppose it's an element as well, isn't there, that, well, let's look at the things that we were doing that we deprioritized during COVID. Are they still relevant for our customers, for our employees, for, for products and services that we produce? You know, is there anything else that we need to be thinking of, given that it's going to be two over two years? Um, you know, and that's re, that's re, that's that's reprioritize the ones that we need to reprioritize. Let's bring in new projects that that we need to do as part of our digital transformation. And as you said, let's get the right people involved who've still got some energy left. Yes, yes, and and this might be different people than before the pandemic. So uh, it is hard to predict. These are the people who are going to experience PTG, and these are the ones who will actually. You know, mental health were worse. So it's for leaders. That it, it, this is not a thing to be easily measured in an Excel sheet. This is very much tracking how your people are doing, and 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 yeah, you need your EQ for this, and not only your IQ. Yeah, and as you said, checking in regularly with people, you know, is is a, is a good way to do that. Particularly if you've got good EQ and you can pick it up. Yeah. So the thing is, with leaders, I work and say, yeah, but I've done that, and then I ask them, how are you doing? And I help them to say, oh, I'm doing fine. No, we need don't need your help. And it's all the it's like. I don't get anything back. But the thing is, uh, that's completely fine. That's great because then they're doing fine. But the, keep checking in because it means the door is open. It's still open. It's always open because if something does happen, you are the one they turn to and you will hear it first. So it's not that if you open up and start checking that everyone will spill all their emotions. No. So it's actively, uh, and this, this is, this. we're actually asking for quite a lot of, you know, time and energy investment from leaders to to uh, keep track of their teams. Yes. So don't be disappointed or stop checking in if you don't get anything back. This is a encouragement for the leaders out there who struggle with this. Yeah, and I think we've certainly seen during the, the crisis and maybe coming out of the crisis that that emotional intelligence element for a, or that EQ element of a leader is so important. Um, yes. You know, in companies and hopefully the leaders we produce in the future will Start to have higher EQ than maybe some of those in the past. But anyway, that's pretty controversial. Can, can I say one? Can I add one thing? Another. So, David. So, I'm 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 middle aged. I'm 44, and uh, if I discuss mental health with my peers, men of between 40 and 50, it's always that's that's a struggle. If I break my arm and I share it with a group of friends, it's like, oh, wow, I'd ever start sharing experience and fish your therapist and it's, it's bragging, I had this. But if I share I am anxious and I can't sleep, it's like, 
okay, here's a beer, let's go for a bike ride. That's it. So what I advise is uh, to actually uh, find some younger people to have a chat with if you are, like me, a bit older and struggle with this in your peer group. And to do some reverse mentoring, to get a reverse mentor when it comes to mental health and actually find a, a youngster in their early 20s who are completely at ease talking about their mental health, have the language and can actually help older leaders uh, to find the right forms, ways, language to, to, to help their team members. So, so re- find a reverse mentor if you, if you struggle with this. That's a really good piece of advice. I mean, I know, you know, similar age groups, you maybe a few years older. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I know exactly that. It's particularly in the UK, which is you know, quite repressive about talking about their emotions, particularly men. So yeah, I mean, it is yes. the, talking about it actually helps. So. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now let's go back to the conversation with Timon, where we discuss how organisations can meet the expectations of the Gen Z workforce. Um, The last topic we're going to talk about today centres on the, the demographic makeup of the workforce. You've been doing some really interesting work on adjusting to a multi-generational uh, workforce, uh, in particular meeting the expectations of, of, of Gen Z workers. Can you tell us a little bit more about that project? I think it would be fascinating to hear. So uh, Gen Z is, of course, the, the, the big, well, it's not a buzzword, but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a new generation coming in and actually causing quite a bit of, well, we have a few clients who came to us sp- specifically with uh challenges between the, like they said we, we actually have a generational clash uh in the workforce uh, we have these millennial or gen x leaders and they struggle leading gen z um and well it's 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 hard to summarize it in in, in a few one you know it, it very brief but so there there are various things mental health to, to bridge the gap from the previous topic is one um so, uh, again, we work for a large IT firm on this, and, and uh, they did interviews with their youngest workers, so Gen Z workers, and asked them, what do you expect from your leader? And one of the big red threads coming out of these interviews was, I want my leader to, be, to have a high EQ, to be emotionally intelligent, to ask me, how am I doing, to ask me about my family situation. I want my leader to understand me. Um, and... If you are in a more traditional, larger organizations, which is about KPI and performance, and this is what you should do, you know, the more traditional management style, many leaders struggle with the emotional mental health needs that Gen Z has. And I think this is for the HR community a, 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 a wake-up call to start uh, educating leaders how they can actually, you know, get on par with with the youngsters when it comes to mental health and this is one of, of, of well, 
it's not an easy one. Reverse mentoring is one of the answers, uh, or answers, one of the practical things we actually advise is say, we want you to find a reverse mentor and then not from within your organization because then you have the hierarchical relationship, but find a Gen Z mentor outside of your organization to help you and then report back, share best practices. And we've done this with a big law firm in Scandinavia and it's, it's, it's worked brilliantly. Fascinating. And is it, have you published anything that people could dig in a little bit further to the research? I have, I have a book coming out uh, next year in the summer. So then it's this year because we're listening uh, in the new year uh, yeah, in, in, over the summer. But that's, that's still uh, quite a few months ahead of us. Okay. So look out for Timon's book. Yes. But this is the, the mental health is one piece. Then we have the whole woke cancel culture having a purpose and, um, you know, Gen Z being activist within organizations and then uh, yeah, discussions on pronoun usage of leaders. This is quite a big topic as well. And then yeah, well, <laughs> what can you do as an organization and as leaders? Because this generation is not sitting quiet in a corner doing their chores and, and, and being silent. And I guess another element is uh, around climate. Um and, yes. you know, so, you know, employees now, maybe it's not always younger employees, but maybe a lot of time younger employees, that they expect their companies to have a, a defined stance on climate and actually be doing something about it, not just rhetoric. And I guess that's an opportunity for HR as well to, to, to potentially turn that rhetoric into action and take on board a little bit what, what employees are saying and, and communicate to employees we're actually doing something about this because, hey, that's a good way of stopping people leaving if it, if, if it matches their purpose. Yeah, if you look at it, so climate anxiety is now, from a mental health perspective, that is becoming a, a just like gaming addiction was once added to, you know, the whole mental health professional spectrum. Climate anxiety is now becoming a, a proper, yeah, proper anxiety, sorry, English not my first language. Uh, but this is actually, yeah, so it, it, it's, it's uh, this is really a thing. Uh, the climate is... And and this is not a Western, higher educated, higher upper middle class thing. So uh, I did a project in India uh, where we ran into a, a study of uh, uh, Gen Z in India. Nine zero ninety percent of Indian Gen Z in this study, and there were more than 10,000 youngsters interviewed, were thinking about sustainability and global warming on a daily basis. And this is India. And we think... Often older leaders in the West think, ah, oh, this is just like a darling subject of the Greta Thunbergs with the Oprah singer as a mom. You know, it's this is a luxurious post-materialistic thing. It is not. Um, but it's not only HR it is, or marketing that have to be on board. Uh, th th this should come from the top. So if you are struggling as an HR professional trying to do your best, but the C-suite is not on board, then <sighs> good luck. That's a, that's a good pause on that one. So I get we, we, we're kind of circling back really nicely to that whole question of change that we started about. Um, you know, as different individuals enter the workforce, we can either aim to change them to fit the organization. Good luck with that. Or give them yep. a chance to change the organization itself. You know, is there merit in both approaches or is one, do you believe, is distinctly advantageous to the other? Yeah, I, I think there's merit in both. I think there's merit in both. and. When it comes to sustainability and the climate crisis, that's what we also know from previous crises, is that when one crisis is over, the old challenges return. So if 
we know that when the pandemic is over, and we assume that it will be over this year or next year, uh, then the climate will come back as as a boomerang. And if you think there's already a lot of attention on the climate and the climate, just wait. <laughs> you haven't seen the, the, you you ain't seen nothing yet. Is I think the correct English expression. It's it's if you ask for priorities from leaders now, uh, whether it's you know political leaders or businesses, oh, hybrid working and we're opening up the office again in uh, in a few months and this and that. It's all on how do we switch. And climate is in the top five or. Yeah, it's there, but it's not the number one priority. But when we solve the whole hybrid remote thing, then you know this is, yeah, this is yeah. So yeah, I, I'm gonna repeat <laughs> the good luck if it's not on number one, two, well maybe three on your priority list as a leader. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. Well, you know, part two of the podcast in a couple of years' time, we can maybe reflect on that. Um, yes. And fi- and I think this links quite nicely with the, the question that we're asking everyone on this series. So this is the, the final question today, Tim, on you know, what is the future of employee experience in 2022 and, and maybe moving forward into the next couple of years as well? Uh, it's all about engagement between people. Uh, so as a leader, I said focus on mental health, but focus on engagement. So how can we get people to engage? So yes, nudge them back to the office or remote work, but at least get people physically in the same space together. And if you have to do anything virtual, please go beyond just your laptop and get a proper camera, make eye contact. Um, we haven't gone into that whole AV technical discussion, but there are loads of things coming, helping us to engage better via technical means and how do you set that up but engagement between people is key because if you lose that then then you know we'll get depressed and tired and yeah so engagement i think that's a a, a lovely way to 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 end it timon thank you for being a a guest on the digital hr leaders podcast can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you follow you on social media and maybe find out more about your work well, if they just Google my name, I, there's only one of me, Timon de Jong, then they'll find my LinkedIn or Twitter website email. So if you Google me, then uh, you'll be fine. And the book, as you said, is coming out in the summer. Has it got a have you got a title yet? or is it? It's called Future Human Behavior. Well, that sounds like a, a must read to me. <laughs> uh, t- Timon, yes. thanks very much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, um, and thanks also for that little... Uh, Little little jam on. The- yeah, I should have prepared that better, but that's for next time. I'll prepare some a, a proper groove. <laughs> Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight Two Two Two. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Tune in next week for episode two of this series, where I'll be joined by Steve Scott, Managing Director and Global Head of Workforce Management and Analytics at Standard Chartered Bank. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.